for all sorts of reasons. I don't preach every single week. And about six months ago, I asked Jeff Moger to preach on Matthew 10. Then I found out that one of our cross-cultural gospel workers will be leaving in a few months, and he chose to preach on Matthew 10, which will remind us of something. Anytime we're taking more than eight verses of Scripture, we really cannot cover all of it. I'm excited that Jeff is going to preach on this, even though it has already been preached on the last few weeks, because this is one of the second of the five discourses of Matthew. If you want to really understand Matthew and be grasped by Jesus' teaching, there are five main teaching segments. And so Jeff's going to cover all of chapter 10 really well for us this morning. Those of you that were excited to play bingo, we will be playing bingo for the next six weeks. And I still have not seen the card. (laughs) Though a lot of people have laughed about what's on the card. Would you pray with me as we prepare to hear God's word read and preached? Father, thank you for speaking to us. Jesus, we praise you for your clear and mundane words. While we might wish all of your word was easily accessible to us, we praise you that at least some of it is. And as we hear the word read and preached, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, quicken our minds Enliven our hearts. Help us who are familiar with this word to be encouraged, convicted, and comforted by it. Help us who are less familiar with it to be encouraged, convicted, and comforted by it. Amen. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 10, and I'll be reading the whole chapter. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles when they deliver you over. Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, 
and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his sake, his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. I don't think I like that thing. Good morning. Um, my name is Jeff Mocher, and I serve as an elder here at the barn, and my day job is to teach high school history. Occasionally, I get the chance to give Matt some time off to recharge his batteries, and that's one of these weeks. We're in the middle of a sermon series with the title that, uh, called Pray Then Like This. In this series, we are using the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6 of Matthew, to guide our look at the rest of the gospel. Today we look at some of Jesus' words in chapter 10. All of Jesus' words in chapter 10. It may sound a bit repetitive, as Matt suggested, as other sermons in this series also looked into the idea of the kingdom of God. A month ago, Corey Garrett took us through the end of chapter 9 and the first section of chapter 10. He explored the idea of the kingdom being furthered through the witness of weakness. About two weeks later, Andrew Sharp examined the message of the kingdom in its relationship with the power and the glory. It's my hope 
that you will see this sermon as a continuation of the teaching in those earlier sermons. Before we do that though, let's start with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your words for us. Thank you for the scholars that can be so helpful in understanding your words. And thank you for your spirit that can help us to apply your words to our lives even today. Amen. So let's read the prayer. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Familiar words, instructive words, powerful words. It's known as the Lord's Prayer, but I've discovered or kind of figured out that some Bibles actually call it the Disciples' Prayer. And maybe that's appropriate since we read it in the middle of a lesson from Jesus to his disciples about how to pray. Today we're going to look, at, look closely at the second sentence of that prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom is paired with your will. This is the Father's kingdom and the Father's will. The kingdom will come when the people are following the will of God. This kingdom already exists already in heaven and will reign on earth, in part now and more fully at the end of the age. The kingdom calls for the submission of our will more completely to God's will. In order for me to honestly pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, I must be fully sold out on the truth that God loves me and that he wants what is best for me. I must love him and trust him in order to pray this prayer. Do I think about this when I pray the prayer? No, not always. But this is the filter that we're going to use today to understanding the teaching in today's scripture. The passage in chapter 10 comes after a flood of activity by Jesus. In chapters 5 through 7, Jesus has preached the Sermon on the Mount. These are his words. In chapter 8 and 9, Jesus has built up his individual ministry by performing miraculous acts, which is hard to say, such as healing lepers, healing a servant and Peter's mother-in-law. He has cast out demons, healed a woman who was suffering for 12 years, calmed a storm, healed the paralyzed, the blind, the mute, and raised a young girl from death to life. These are his actions. His actions follow his words. Jesus has clearly and decisively established his authority and his mission. His disciples have been with him and they've seen it all. The crowds are now following him wherever he goes. At the end of chapter 9, we're told that Jesus had compassion on these crowds. He describes them as sheep without a shepherd. For Jesus, compassion always leads to action always. Here his compassion causes him to teach his disciples another very specific prayer. Chapter 9 verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. 
Up to this point, Jesus has been doing all the work of healing and teaching. He does not need help, but he wants the disciples to help. And in fact, he tells them to pray for helpers. In the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus calls the 12 together and gives them the authority to spread the mission, to do what they have seen Jesus do. To heal every disease and affliction, to cast out unclean spirits. Jesus is equipping them to be the laborers that they've been praying for. Up to now, Matthew has called the 12 disciples, which means learners, but now refers to them as the apostles, which means messengers, ones who are sent. And Jesus sends them out to multiply the ministry that he has initiated. How might you or I react to such a charge or a directive from our teacher? The disciples are just beginning to understand who Jesus is and what the mission is, and now they are being sent out to duplicate what they have experienced. But this time, Jesus will not be with them in body. Imagine their reaction. My wife Sarah and I have been watching the streaming program called The Chosen over the past couple years, and we've enjoyed it very much. It is a biblically-based Christian historical television series that covers the life of Jesus, but with a focus on the 12 disciples. In season three, episode two, spoiler alert, there is a portrayal of this very event by Matthew in chapter 10, recorded by Matthew in chapter 10. Jesus is sending out of the 12. The producers locate this meeting in Peter's house, and all 12 of the disciples are there. The reaction of the apostles is primarily two things, objections and questions. Objections and questions. And both of them are laced with fear. I think I would feel the same. The fear they have is strongly evident and visible in the questions that they ask. Jesus' responses to their questions are the majority of the words in today's scriptures. The objections and the questions go something like this. We are not qualified to do this. We have just begun to be students. Why can't we bring a change of clothes? What are we supposed to teach? How are we to eat? What if it gets bad? We could die. The questions are practical, logical, and fearful. Twelve guys who are worried about food, clothing, public speaking, and dying. Maybe it's not such a surprising reaction. Jesus calms their fears, at least a little bit. Let us look at Jesus' words. In chapter 10, verse 1, he's given them his authority. He has given them the power. I wonder what that was like. In verse 5, he narrows their field of the mission. They will only be going to fellow Jews. I suspect that helped them feel more confident, as at least they would understand the culture. In verses 7 to 15, he tells them what to say and what to do. First, what to say. They will proclaim, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This means the kingdom of heaven is near. With the entrance of Jesus into the world of men, the kingdom of heaven is dawning on earth. This was the message of John the Baptist in chapter 3 of Matthew and of Jesus in chapter 4. The disciples are preaching a message that the promised Messiah is near. 
Second, what to do? They will heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. That's all. In short, they are to do the very work they have seen Jesus do. They are to do the work Jesus taught them to pray for, your kingdom come. They are helping bring the kingdom near. Other instructions include, don't take any form of payment for this work, stay in the homes of honorable people, and don't waste time talking to people who don't want to listen. Move on, as there are lots of places with people who will listen. It would seem that this is a mission of short duration. This is not the end of their time with Jesus, and his instructions make that clear. It is a short-term mission trip. Jesus at this time has expanded the mission, his mission, but only in a limited way. He is expanding the mission to other parts of Israel. Later, he will expand the mission to the Gentiles and to the rest of the world. The followers of Jesus will be doing the same work as their teacher. They are very doubtful of this plan, but they will do what the master requires of them. In verses 16 to 25, Jesus again responds to the fears and the doubts of the apostles, and this time he does not hold anything back. In fact, it seems that he projects out to, the to a future time when they will be working with non-Jews in distant lands. Some of his words are going to be comforting, and some are quite challenging. He once again goes to the image of sheep, but this time the sheep are being sent out to be among the wolves. In his compassion, Jesus described the people as sheep, among the, as sheep without a shepherd, but now the shepherd is sending the sheep out to be among the wolves. He has flipped the image. Verse 16, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He warns them, he warns, bleh, he warns them by saying, you may be arrested, even flogged, imprisoned, and put on trial. Your own family may turn against you, and you will be hated. This could not have been very comforting. He does encourage them with the promise that when they speak, it will not be their words, but, quote, the Spirit of the Father speaking through you, in verse 20. Jesus ends this section by saying that they will be maligned, which means to be spoken about in an unfair and critical way. Since Jesus, their master, has been compared to the devil, then they, his disciples and apostles, will be as well. Three times in verses 26 to 33, Jesus tells them to not be afraid, but to have the right response in a fear-filled situation. Don't fear human opposition, but fear God, as we have been told this is the beginning of wisdom. He encourages them with the fact that they are important to God. If God knows about the death of a tiny sparrow and then knows the number of hairs on your head, won't he care for you and satisfy your needs? He encourages them to stick to the plan and persevere in proclaiming the good news. Keep it simple and tell them what you have seen and do what you have seen me do. Perhaps we can all keep that direction in mind today. I am sure that we can all relate to the fears of the disciples. In the spring of 1989, Sarah and I were preparing to go to China with a Christian organization to teach English to Chinese college students. 
we were paying close attention to the events of that spring. Maybe you remember the Tiananmen Square protests and the eventual crackdown of that June. Maybe you remember Tank Man, a lone student standing in front of a line of tanks and the tanks tried to go around him and he blocked him and then he blocked them. Foreigners were fleeing the country. Well, that was the time when Sarah and I were planning on going to China. It was a time of anxiety and nerves and fear. The Lord directed and protected, and we did go to China two months after the massacre, into a China under martial law and at great unease. We ended up serving two wonderful but challenging years teaching in China. Our mutual call to China was one thing that had brought us together as a couple, and God protected and sustained us through that time. He is good to his word. I know that many of you have heard God's call on your lives and have experienced the same care that we did. Verses 34 to 39 have, sim have similarities to verses 21 and 22. This is Matthew's way of stressing the message by repeating it twice. You will have persecution and opposition, and some of it may come from within your own family. This will be painful, but remember, Jesus will experience the same. In verse 38, he is very specific when he says, quote, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, unquote. As Pastor Matt might say, this is Jesus waving his arms to get our attention that nothing is more important than loyalty to him. One commentator wrote that this quote, this quote is extreme language to us who live in a world that may not admire Christian commitment, but at least tolerates it, unquote. The disciples would have viewed the cross very differently than we do 2,000 years later. To them, it was an instrument of death, and to take his cross meant to go to be executed. There were no exceptions. They would have heard Jesus' words as, quote, the language of martyrdom, unquote. We may see it as a call to shoulder the burdens of a life in service to Jesus. Fortunately, Jesus ends chapter 10 with verses about the rewards for those who persevere in the faith and in the spreading of the gospel to those who have not heard it. I suspect that at this moment the apostles greatly needed to hear about the rewards of the life that they had been called to lead. Pray then like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How will this happen today? As disciples, as learners, we have a role to play. Jesus had his own ministry. The disciples watched and learned. Jesus gave them authority and sent them out to fulfill his mission, first to the Jews, then to all the nations. He is calling us to fulfill this same mission, his mission. We are the heirs of that mandate. We are disciples, learners, who are taking in the teachings of the master, but we are also the messengers, taking his good news to those who have not heard. Like Jesus, our teacher, we can have a ministry, we can have a local mission, and we can have global influence.
At the barn, we take this seriously, and we try to facilitate this call in various ways. Through Bible study, sermons, small groups, fellowship, all the activities that we do, we help equip each other for ministry in places where we live and we work and we play. Through faithful presence, we try to give opportunities to meet the needs of the community in which we can serve. We help people set aside resources and time to work locally for the gospel, to come alongside others doing the same thing. Many at the barn have been blessed by taking the chance to serve in some of the ministries connected with faithful presence. Some of you have served prisoners and their families, or students hoping to go to college. Others have helped the homeless or those caught up in sex trafficking. I personally have had the chance to serve by tutoring inner city kids in Hartford by helping them with their homework. They seem to think I know something about math. I don't, I teach history. It can be quite rewarding. I encourage you to talk to Pastor Matt or Maria Prizer to see where you might be able to serve. It is a way of responding to the call of Jesus to serve those around us. What are your passions? What are your skills that might be helpful to these organizations? And through the missions committee, we provide funds, support, and encouragement to those who have come out of the barn and to others who are called to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. We are a home church for many who have served in both short-term and long-term missions. I say we because I happen to be the chairperson of the missions committee. It is a joy to work with the many people in the groups that we support. It's very exciting to hear the stories of what God has done, is doing, and will continue to do in the far corners of the world in which we live. Please feel free to come and talk to me if you might be interested in joining this exciting ministry committee. The resurrected Jesus could not be more clear in giving the challenge to his disciples when he spoke in Matthew 28. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We pray for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done. We take steps to achieve that reality in our homes, in our communities, and in our world. Let us each take a moment today, this week, to think about how we can be involved in each level of bringing the kingdom and the will of God to earth. Ask him for guidance as you consider options. What can you offer to help the kingdom come? It might begin with prayer. Take time each week to pray for a specific missionary or a ministry that the barn supports. Maybe you have more time to give due to a recent change of status like retirement. Maybe you have financial reserves that can be used to help the ministries directly. 
Perhaps you can be friends with someone whom society has beaten down to the point where they feel worthless. There's a lot of hurt in the places where we live and work and play. And maybe even you can go. God might be calling you to go somewhere near or even somewhere far to serve, to bring his good news. How can we take on the prayer and the call of your kingdom come? Never forget that in responding, we are not alone. Jesus is with us always to the end of the age. Let's pray. In chapter 1, Jesus told us, in, in, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told his disciples that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. The purpose of this empowerment was, according to Jesus, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Help us today, Lord Jesus, to be your witnesses in the Farmington Valley and Connecticut and to wherever you may call us to go. Help us to put aside our fears, to put our trust in you, and to respond to the call of your kingdom come. Amen.